part five, the goodness of God. We've been talking about the true nature of God. I'm going to open my Bible. This, Kent, this, this is not on the PowerPoint, but I'm going to open my Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. We've read this, this particular um, scripture every week, and I want to read it again. Got to find it in my Bible. I'm in John. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, here we go. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We're talking about the true nature of God. We're talking about growing in revelation and knowing the true nature of God. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is God's gift to us. The, the extravagant grace with all of its facets that was paid for at Calvary. It's God's gift to us. But this scripture says that his grace and his peace will be multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus. Jesus, as Tom has said, and as we say every week, Jesus is the perfect imprint, the very um, nature of God personified. So knowing Jesus, knowing God, puts us in that place of receiving his grace and his peace multiplied. Verse 3 goes on, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So once again, verse 2 talks about us having the, the open ability, the, the gift of receiving the all things based on our knowledge of him. And those all things, Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give. I came that you might have a life, a full life, an abundant of life. Abundance of life. That's the all things. But what we've been sharing in this series is that our perception of the nature of God has a huge impact on our receiving the all things. There is a feast prepared for us. And that feast, that heavenly spiritual feast includes everything that Jesus paid for. And it's all ours to partake, to partake of. But if we don't perceive God in his true nature, we're not going to receive all of that feast. We're not going to get to enjoy all of the feast. I want to enjoy it all. <laughs> I like feasts. I like the appetizers. I like the filet mignon. I like the dessert. I like it all. And Jesus wants us to partake of the all things. So today's message is entitled, The Goodness of God. God is good. Today I'm going to show you, based on Scripture, what that means. We say it a lot. In fact, it's almost a, a little cliche thing. Maybe we don't even think about it while we say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But today, I really want to delve into that, to what that really means. So first of all, the definition of good, according to the Greek 
term good in the New Testament, the, the Greek word is agathos, it sounds very much like my definition of good in English. And this isn't even on your, your handout. But good means of good constitution or nature. Pleasant. Agreeable. Joyful. Happy. Upright. Honorable. Excellent. And distinguished. If we stop for a minute right now and meditated on what I just said and put God in the place of that definition, you might be moving outside of your paradigm of who God is. The definition of that word, that Greek word, means He's happy, He's joyful, He's agreeable. Sometimes we sense or we think or we perceive, misperceive, misperceive a God that isn't agreeable or that is angry. That's not what good, that's not what the definition of good is. Pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. And then on your, on your handout, there are three, three statements that I want to make about God's goodness. The first one is that God's goodness is inherent and that means that it exists in god as a permanent and inseparable attribute goodness can't be separated from god just like love can't be separated from god love isn't something that god does or that he gives it's who he is and the same thing with his goodness it's who he is god is good it can't be separated from him in the natural it can be in me or in Kant or in you it can be you know sometimes I might be a really good wife and then other times I might be a really lousy one in a certain moment he could probably agree with that because goodness kind of uh, I push it away and I get grumpy for some reason God is not like that his goodness is inherent it's part of who he is it is inseparable from him the next statement is that God's goodness is intrinsic it belongs to God by his very nature extrinsic means from the outside like if, if everything is is good on the outside then he's good and that's sometimes in the human form what happens when everything's going great on the outside we react in a way that is good. But that's not God. God's goodness is intrinsic. It's not based on extrinsic stuff, on outside stuff. God is good inside. That's who he is. That's his nature. His nature is goodness. And then the third statement, absolutely not my socks off when I started to think about it God or goodness is God's standard God's goodness is set it is established and it is not relative based on my behavior or even my beliefs his goodness is established 
And no matter how I act, no matter who I am, how good I am, how not so good I am, how holy I am or how not holy I am, what I believe or what I don't believe, his goodness is established and it does not move. It is set. It is established. He is good. It's not relative to me. His goodness is not relative to me. He is good. Having a revelation of this, this character trait that we're talking about today, this part of God's nature, having a revelation of the goodness of God that we're going to be talking about today is one of the most important truths that we're going to know about God. And there's only one that's greater, and that is his love. The goodness of God is so central to knowing him and to receiving his love and his gifts and his benefits and healing and restoration and anything, anything that you are seeking and hungering for and needing in your life and your heart. So we're going to start now with two different scriptures that talk about God's goodness. They're both from the book of Psalms. And the first one is Psalms 100. And this is what it says. Verse 5. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. If you want a fun word search, you should look up the word good in both the Old and the New Testament. And find the scriptures where it is referring to God. There are so many references to the goodness of God. And this is one of them. For the Lord is good. And then it talks about some of his other character traits that, that, that feed into this character of goodness. It says he has unfailing love. Unfailing love that continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Unfailing love, faithfulness. He is good. And the next scripture I want to look at is Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man who trusts in him. I want to give you just a little snapshot of, um, of my beginning testimony of coming to know the goodness of God. And it, this scripture has, has two parts. It has the first part, then a common, then a second part. And I have actually kind of see it as three independent pieces. And the first one is taste and see that the Lord is good. When I was first saved, probably all of you could have the same story or a similar story. But when I was first saved and I received Jesus as the Lord of my life, I started to taste and see something I'd never tasted and seen before. I started to experience the goodness of God in real life. Before I was saved, I heard about God. I went to church. 
you know, I, there were scriptures that were read about God, but I had never tasted and seen his goodness for myself. God has given us so many parts of our, of our being. And we talk a lot about spirit and our soul. But I want to talk now about our senses. Because this scripture says taste and see. My phone's ringing. It's distracting. It's talking about tasting and seeing. We taste with our mouth. We see with our eyes. They're physical senses. When I first started to taste and see the goodness of God, he was showing up experientially in my life. I was seeing evidence that I had never seen before of prayers answered. I used to call those things maybe coincidences or maybe luck. But all of a sudden, my perspective was changing. And I was perceiving God in the midst of the circumstances that I was walking through. I started to see evidences in different ways in my physical body, in um, Kent, in our relationship, in the peace that all of a sudden I was enveloped in. I was experiencing the goodness of God. And all I did, guys, all I did was take baby steps. All I did was start to crack open my Bible and read a little bit. That's all I did. All I did was start a prayer life. I didn't know how. I certainly didn't, you know, I, you don't really need to know how. God just says show up. And that's what I did. I started to show up and experience the goodness of God. You guys know my story. Within six months, he really showed up with his goodness when I was healed of stage four cancer supernaturally. Boy, did I get a big picture of his amazing goodness. But I bet every one of us can talk and tell stories of what God has done in this instance, in this instance, how he, how he um, ordained our path, how he connected us, how he brought you the right person at the right time. How you were loved at that time when you needed to be loved. It might have been from somebody. It might have been directly from him. I remember when I first started to, to enter into worship. I had never worshipped. I had sung a lot to God. But I had never worshipped. And when I started to worship and experience something I never experienced before. Just knowing I was in his presence. Knowing that he was loving me. It was amazing. I started to do this first part of the scripture. I was tasting and seeing something I'd never tasted or seen before. Then the second half of the scripture says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. When I look back at that season of my life, the last part of that scripture came next. First I tasted and saw God. And then I started I started to trust him just a little bit. It started very gradually. And that was the, the beginning of my faith. But I started to trust him. Just like when I came to know Kent and as our relationship grew and I came to know him more and, and, and have a, a very deep relationship with him, my trust for him grew. And that's what happened when I started to taste and see the goodness of God. My trust for God started to blossom. It started to grow. And then number three, the blessings. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When I experienced his goodness, my trust grew. And the blessings, the blessings started to 
rain down. It's a byproduct of knowing, growing to know the goodness of God. The next point I want to make about the goodness of God is that our Lord Jesus points us to the goodness of God. He is the exact representation of God. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible. I taught a couple weeks ago on this, so I just want to review just a little bit. But it's important because we can see the goodness of God in Jesus. Hebrews um, 1 verse 3 says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. The word glory and goodness, we're going to go there in a second. They're inseparable. God's glory and his goodness are inseparable. They're, t- they're the same, one and the same. And it says here that Jesus radiates the glory of God and expresses the very character of God. Jesus expresses the goodness, the character of God. And then in Acts 10.38, this scripture, oh, this is perfect for looking at Jesus expressing the goodness of God. Acts 10.38 says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So here's our Jesus. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And after he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he had the power of the Holy Spirit within him and upon him, he went about doing good. Now, we know that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and said what he saw the Father saying. And this scripture said he went about doing good. And what was he doing that was good? Healing, guys. This is a healing class. God is good. Jesus showed us the goodness of God. His mission on earth was destroy the works of the devil. And that's what this says. He healed those who were oppressed by the devil. He healed those. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to defeat the works of the enemy. And he did that by doing good and healing. He hasn't changed. He still does good and heals. As Tom said when he opened, he paid the price with a love that was so intense for us that he couldn't not give his life up for us. He loves us so much. So there's a statement on your paper that I'm going to I'm going to ask this question and I'm just going to let this settle in for a minute because it's a big one. The question is is there any concept that you have of God that you cannot substantiate or prove in the life of Jesus. And if there is, you need to change the way you think. For example, I, when I first started um, uh, in this teaching, and I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, and the doctor gave me 0% chance of living, said it was incurable, I had 6 to 9 months to live. 
I started to learn that it was God's will to heal. But before that, I didn't think it was God's will to heal. So maybe you have that, maybe you're coming here with that same thought. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Well, look at Jesus. If you can't substantiate that belief and prove it through Jesus, then you need to change the way you think. So if you think it's not God's will to heal, look at Jesus. Jesus healed. He healed everyone who came to him. He never said no. He never said you are not worthy. He never said no because you're going to learn a lesson by being sick. Jesus didn't do that. So if you're unsure about the will to heal, you look at Jesus. Maybe you think that God, um, it, you know, it is, is um, judgment, judgmental, wrath, um, uh, hellstone, brimfire kind of a God. Look at Jesus. Jesus had compassion. Jesus healed everyone. He, he, he went to the adulterous woman. And although the law said that the, the consequence of the adultery was to be stoned, he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Yeah, she was a sinner. Yes, she had broken the law. Yes, the penalty was death. But he said, no, I don't condemn you. That's the heart of the father. And if we have any belief that we're holding on to that doesn't agree, that can't be proven through Jesus, we need to think about it. In fact, I'm just going to stop right now. And I ask, Father God, I ask that you would open the eyes of our heart to, to look inside of our believing, of our soul, of our, our decision-making, our, our choosing. And if we're choosing things or believing things that don't agree with Jesus, shine a light on it and show us. And show us Jesus in acting your goodness. And may we receive the revelation that that picture is who you are. That picture of the goodness of Jesus. That's who you are, God. Change our thinking. Change our, our, our believing. Change us, God, if it's not in alignment with what Jesus reveals. And I ask this in Jesus' holy name. The next point that I want to make says the gospel is good news. The name or the word gospel literally means good news. It means to bring good news. Gospel is to bring good news or to announce glad tidings. And that, that term glad tidings has two components. One is news or information. But the other part is accompanied by joy great joy or pleasure i don't know about you but when i watch the news right now i'm not getting a lot of great joy and pleasure out of it but the good news of the gospel carries news and information and it is accompanied by great joy and pleasure okay now this is something that i have learned that is oh, again just overwhelming me with awe and that is that the goodness of god that is displayed through the gospel when the gospel is shared when the good news is shared 
there is a foundation laid for the impossible to become possible. There is the, the foundation laid for healings, miracles, signs, wonders, when the good news is shared. And I'm going to read several scriptures to prove my point. There are many. I've got a few here, but there are many. You can go through the, the, the Gospels with this lens and look for yourself and find example after example where the good news is preached and then there are signs and wonders, miracles that follow the teaching of the good news. So here's the first one. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He preached, he shared the good news, and healings were manifest. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It's almost the exact words, but it is, and it's still the gospel of Matthew, so it is a different account. The same exact thing, preaching the gospel and healing the sick. Matthew eleven five. Jesus is talking. Um, John the Baptist in the scripture had just sent some, some, um, some messengers to Jesus. He was in prison. John the Baptist was imprisoned. And he sent some messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one or should be, we be waiting for someone else? John the Baptist. He was the one that came to prepare the way for Jesus. He's the one that knew Jesus when he walked towards him he knew he was the messiah he said i'm not even worthy to buckle your sandals and he baptized jesus and he saw the heavens open and the holy spirit descend upon jesus and yet he's still asking questions he's in prison now he's not sure he's in a different situation maybe you're in a situation right now where you're not sure Maybe you have something huge going on in your life and you are oppressed by the devil like Jesus came to heal us of. Look at what Jesus said to John the Baptist. He said, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The gospel's preached. The good news is shared. And all those signs, miracles, and wonders are taking place. That's Jesus. And you're saying, well, yes, Jesus, Son of God. In Luke 9, the apostles are carrying that same mission forward. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They're sharing the good news, and healing is manifesting everywhere. Mark 16, Jesus has died. He has paid the price in full. In the other scriptures, the price hadn't yet been paid. Jesus hadn't yet been the sacrifice for us. But in Mark 16, he had paid the sacrifice. He had been ascended into heaven, or he had been resurrected from the dead. 
and he was getting ready to ascend into heaven and he gave us a commission and this is what he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature preach the good news and these signs will follow those who believe in my name they'll cast out demons they'll speak with new tongues they'll take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover preach the word and signs and wonders will follow preach the word and your authority over the enemy will be exposed and the enemy will bow at your feet preach the word share the good news and the holy spirit's power within you and upon you will go forth to do what he's going to do you don't have to figure it out the holy spirit does it share the good news and you'll have this protection that's you know drinking the poison or whatever you'll be protected from stuff attacking you or hurting you or 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 uh, sudden accidents or injuries or things like that share the good news and you'll lay hands on the sick and they will be healed there is a connection the last one example I want to share is from Romans this is after um, after Jesus was ascended and this is the Apostle Paul who never was even one of the uh, disciples the 12 disciples with Jesus but listen to what Paul says Romans 15 verses 18 and 19 yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit in this way I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium so Paul's saying the full preaching of the good news included both the words and the healings the signs the wonders the miracles they go hand in hand so you may be here or you may have a loved one or you may know others or you may have a heart to go out and share the good news to people who have an impossible situation maybe they're maybe they've got a chronic what the doctors call chronic illness that they just have to learn to live with the rest of their life maybe they have a terminal illness maybe they have a broken heart or a grieving heart but just like declaring the good news of the gospel was the foundation for the impossible to happen in Jesus's day just like declaring the good news was the foundation of Jesus working in signs and wonders he hasn't changed and that's still true today God can't help but show up when declaration of his goodness is made today I'm talking about his goodness his goodness and his glory his goodness and his presence are inseparable Let's look at Exodus 33. God's glory and his goodness are inseparable. I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures with that, that give evidence to this. The glory of God, if you want to put a definition on the glory of God, which is really hard to do. But if I was going to give a definition to the glory of God, it would be 
The manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God. And the statement I'm making now is that God's manifest presence, his glory, and his goodness are one and the same. In Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses is on Mount Sinai. And you probably remember the story. He, is, he has such a relationship with God. He talks to God. God talks to him. He gets direction all the time. And on this particular day, he is with God, talking to God. And he says, God, show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make my goodness pass before you. So he asked for his glory, and God said, I will allow my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The goodness of God is his manifest presence. That's who he is. And when it talks about the proclaiming the name of the Lord, his name holds who he is. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. The name of Jesus, delivery, deliverance, victory, salvation. If you've done studies on the names of God, it holds who he is. And God said, okay, I'll allow my goodness to pass by you. Now that was Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't yet paid the sacrifice for us to be reconciled unto God. And our temples weren't worthy to hold the goodness of God or to, to be in unity, in, recon in reconciliation with God because he was holy and, and people weren't holy and they couldn't be in a position of communion. But then Jesus paid the price. We didn't get off the hook. The price was paid like Tom said. Jesus paid it all. And now that goodness and that glory reside in us. That just blows me away. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what shines in us. That word know so we could know the glory of God, that word know is the word that I taught on a couple weeks ago. The word gnosko in the New Testament. The Old Testament word is yada, the yada factor, the gnosko factor. Knowing God intimately. It is the same word that is used for intimacy between a man and a woman. And this scripture says that we have this gift of the light shining in us, in our hearts, so that we can know intimately. So that the goodness of God, just like when a man and a woman have intimacy, part of the man goes into the woman and part of the woman goes into the man and we become one. 
The same thing happens with the glory of God. The light of God comes in us when we receive Jesus as our Savior. And we know him. We know his glory. Father, I pray right now that you open up our knowing, that you open up our hearts to get revelation, that your glory is in us, that your goodness is in us. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, another scripture. You, he called you to salvation when you heard the good news. Now, because you've been saved, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word share means to obtain and share in. Because of hearing the good news, the good news of Jesus, and saying, I believe, that's our part, saying, I believe, we have the glory. We can obtain and share in the glory of Jesus Christ. We can, we can, we, it's not can, we do obtain, it's ours, and we share in the glory of God and the goodness of God within us. Colossians 1.27 for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. The riches and the glory of Christ. And here's the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. We share the glory of Christ within us. We share the goodness of God within us his inherent goodness that is inseparable from him his intrinsic goodness that isn't from outside sources it's from within is in us his goodness resides in you i see it i see it i see his goodness jerry and mary lou his goodness is in you. You have been a part of this ministry for how many years? Five years. He came sick. He got healed. God captured their hearts. He was baptized at 80 years old or something like that. 76. Oh, 76. Well, now he's 81. That was a while ago. He's filled with the Holy Spirit as a, as a you know, in the senior years of his life. God doesn't have any you know, dimension on, oh, you got to start young and learn and learn and learn. The goodness of God resides in you. Their heart is to serve. Their heart is to love. That's God's heart. The goodness of God resides in them. The goodness of God resides in Ellen. <laughs> this woman, you know, she could, she could look at the bad news. She's got a diagnosis that's bad news. You never see that on her face. Because God's goodness resides in her. And his joy, remember, the good news is accompanied by joy and good pleasure. That's in her. And it's shining through her. She's going to um, uh, Andrew Womack's Bible College right now. I mean, she could sit and say, okay, I'm in this season of, you know, I need to get well first. She's, oh, no. She's saying, uh-uh, I'm going to Bible school. 
And she's overjoyed, overwhelmed with the goodness of God. I have seen it in so many of you where you come in, you start to hear the good news. It is in you. You realize, I mean, it grows. It's a revelatory thing. It grows in, in knowledge and depth. And everything changes. Everything changes. You can walk through the storm. You can walk through the fire and not be burned. You can walk through it with joy, with peace, with comfort, with strength. Because the glory of God resides in us. I am going to share three lies. Tom, this may be where you're going to go next week because we really haven't talked about where he's going to go from here. But this may just be a, a launch into what you're going to do next week. But as I was um, just preparing to share this trait of God that is so, so powerful and, and important for us to, to know within our hearts. But as I was doing it, these lies kept coming up. The enemy can twist something in such a way that the truth of God's word is, is whatever. It's, it's distorted, it's confused, whatever. I don't want any confusion. I want the enemy's lies under our feet and revealed and exposed and discarded. So I'm going to talk about three lies right now of the enemy where he tries to uh, cancel out the goodness of God or he tries to get us to, to be confused about the goodness of God. And this powerful truth is so important. We don't want it confused or diluted or distorted. So I'm going to share three lies. The first lie, and let me say the whole thing and explain before you freak out on me. The first lie is that God is sovereign and whatever will be, will be. Now I want to tell you a wrong definition of sovereign and then a correct definition of sovereign. The lie, the, the, mis, the, the partial truth, the half truth, is that Everything is totally up to God. If it's his will, you'll be healed. If it's not, you'll die. Everything's up to God. That is a grave misconception about God's sovereignty. Let me give you the true definition of God's sovereignty. The true definition of sovereignty that applies to my God, my good God, is Something or someone that is paramount and supreme. That's my God. My God is above all. That's what paramount means. He is supreme. The true meaning of sovereign means independent. And no one can give him orders. God is above all. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. However, he has given us power through our faith to receive the all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
God doesn't do anything beyond this power that he's given us. He's given us dominion. He's given us authority. He's given us power. He has given us uh, the, the extravagant gifts of grace. But we have a free will. God's will does not automatically come to pass. We have a part to play. Think about salvation. It's God's will for all to be saved, right? But not everybody is saved. Our part, the power, our part is faith. It's to simply believe. And the same thing is true with healing. It's God's will for all to be healed. I can go to the word and show it to you. I will in a couple of weeks. I'll go to the word and show you and give you lots of evidence that it's God's will to heal. But that doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. Our part is to believe it. If it's sitting on a shelf in your closet, even though it's his will, it's not going to come to pass. Our part is to know it, to believe it. God has given us a part to play. Now, the, the, this wrong perception of God can keep... can. Uh, put us in this place of expecting the wrong things if we have a wrong perception we expect the wrong thing so that thing whatever will be will be god is sovereign if he wants me to live i'll live if he wants me to die i'll die if you believe it you'll get what you believe your perception has a great great impact on your expectation and your believing now, Satan, I'm talking about lies right now. Satan is the author of lies. He uses this misconception. It's a big one. He uses misconceptions to keep people from receiving the fullness of what God has for them. Guys, we have a feast. God has prepared a feast with all things that pertain to life and godliness. But we have a part in receiving them. The second lie I want to um, point out is the lie that God is to blame for tragedy in the world or in individuals' lives. You hear it. You hear people blaming God for stuff bad that's going on out there. Sometimes they deny, people deny God's true nature of goodness. We're talking about goodness. They deny his goodness. And they embrace sickness or disease as gifts from God. They're making good evil and evil good. But God isn't evil. God is good. John 10.10 10 says, the thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Lisa, did you want to say? He wouldn't. Lisa's family, for those of you who, who don't know, um, the family that died, um, the, the whole family that died of carbon monoxide poisoning was her cousins. 
And she just went to the funeral a couple days ago. And that's a misconception. It's not true. And that is actually blasphemy. It's giving God an attribute that is the devil's. You're saying God took their lives? Uh Uh-uh. The devil took their lives. And that's another whole teaching. And I will be teaching that in about a month. It's part of the second session of our Bible study where I teach that, that, that big question. Well, then why? I address that. But it isn't God. The bottom line is it isn't God. God is not to blame. The third lie, the third big lie is, and this is the one that I bought. Well, maybe it's God's will for me to be sick. Kind of goes with number one, the sovereign thing. Maybe it's God's will. I'll tell you what that is. That's called oppression of the enemy. Oppression is an illegal, unjust dominion. And it can cause people to question God's goodness. If you have a disease, this is what the enemy wants. The enemy doesn't doesn't want God to, to prevail. He doesn't want people to be healed and God's goodness to be revealed. And people like me up here preaching how good God is. He doesn't want people doing this. When they have sickness, when they're weakened, people question the goodness of God, just like what's happening with Lisa's family. They question the goodness of God and the oppression of the enemy. That's what he wants. So when you question, well, maybe it's God's will, the enemy's loving it. Because that oppression thing that he is in the business of, that's what his business is. He's a liar. He's a thief. He wants, he wants us condemned and all that junk. But we're not. We're not condemned. We are justified. We are righteous. We, are, we have all that God has given to us, but we need to know it and receive it. So, which glorifies God? Sickness and disease? Dying too young? Does that glorify God? No. Does being healed and testifying of his goodness glorify him? Yes. So there's a box on your second page, and this is just a key factor, and that's why I wanted to highlight it for you. The foundation, our foundation for overcoming all these lies, all these deceptions, and to receive God's best for us, including healing, is to know, to know deep in your heart that God is good. It must be the bedrock of our theology and our initial response in every situation needs to be, God, you are good all the time, and I celebrate your goodness. No matter what, no matter what the doctor's report says, no matter what the symptoms are saying, to know and to say and to profess and declare, God is good, and God, I celebrate your goodness right now in the midst of this thing that I'm going through. So celebrating the goodness of God. I'm going to read a couple psalms, and then I'm going to give you a couple action steps. And we're going to get ready to close. Psalm 103. We're celebrating, we're talking about choosing, it's a choice, choosing to celebrate the goodness of God in every moment of every situation, no matter where you're at or, or what's going on right now in your life. You might be in the middle of a, a whatever, 
with your health. You might be in the middle of a, a battle in your marriage. You might be in the middle of a financial issue. But no matter what, you can celebrate the goodness of God. And I want to do this one with you. So let's all read this. Like we are crazy in love with God and believe every word of it with all our heart. So read it with me. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Yay. Isn't that amazing? That's the word, guys. That's scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. This is the NLT version. I don't usually use that version when I just, because I haven't memorized. But I declare this scripture all the time. God says, celebrate me. He says, remember my benefits. Declare my benefits. And as we celebrate the goodness of God, he can't help but show up. Like we talked about re, uh, uh, declaring the good news and the signs and wonders that follow. That's the byproduct of declaring his goodness. The next scripture, Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. He is good. His love endures forever. So here are a couple steps to take this and to act it out. The first is to make a choice to celebrate the goodness of God. And in the very area that you have the battle going on, celebrate his goodness in that very area. So if you right now are in a battle in your physical body, celebrate God because he's the healer. Declare his name. The, the name for God for healing is Jehovah Rapha. But you can just say, you're the God who heals. You can say, Jesus, I praise you because you paid the price for my healing. You can say, Jesus, you took those 39 stripes on your back. And the Bible says, by your stripes, I was healed. You don't need to know exactly what the words are. You can just open your, your mouth and lift your heart and praise him because he's the God who heals. If you have need of peace, maybe you're you're stressed out in your job or something, you can praise God because he's the great Jehovah Shalom. You can praise God because he says grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace be multiplied to you over and over again in the Bible. Praise him for that very thing that you are in need of. And Bill Johnson says, and I love it, he says, the greater your need, the more extreme your expression of praise should be. Get up and get crazy. Praise God with all your heart. Praise God with all your heart. Last week, um, a couple days ago, um, we had uh, some ladies. Well, actually just ended up with two ladies. Linda and, and Mary Lou came to my house. We just wanted to spend some time. Mary or uh, Linda's, m many of you know that she lost her husband about a month, six weeks ago. And, and we just wanted to get together and fellowship and love on her. But there, there's something else I wanted to do, and that was to praise God together and to celebrate the goodness of God. And we were going to go out to lunch, and I said, no, let's not go out. Let's 
meet at my house because we can get crazy and praise God in my house. Can't do that in a restaurant. So that's what we did. We had a wonderful lunch and fun, just fellowshipping. And then we put on that music and we cranked it up and we celebrated the goodness of God. And the area, because like I, I'm teaching, whatever the area is that you're in the greatest need of, that's where you really want to focus your praise and your celebration. So we praise God for his love for us. We praise God and we sang songs about his love for us. And we just soaked in his love. The second activation step is to share testimonies. Testimonies declare the goodness of God. And when you declare the goodness of God, something deepens inside of you. When you're in a place where it doesn't matter whether you have a need or not, but especially if you have a need, Start feeding on testimonies. Be open to say, oh, God, that was good. This testimony, that's so good. You're good. Share your own testimonies. Share, read, and, 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 and uh, feed on other people's testimonies. We have lots of them on our website. You can go and read. You can go on 700 Club and watch all kinds of testimonies. Just look at the goodness of God. Declare the goodness of God. 